0: Good, well, um, over the next uh, 35 minutes, I'm going to offend every one of you. Uh, So uh, get ready for that. It's going to be a lot of fun today. (laughs) We started a series last week called Friends. And um, if you were here last week, maybe um, one of, over the past uh, couple years, one of the most practical, helpful uh, invitations for you to walk out and have something that you'd have in your hands really to to kind of use as tools in the relationships that you have. And um, this week, as I was preparing for what I felt like the Lord wanted to share with us, I'm, I'm just going to be real honest, okay? Um, a couple weeks ago in my quiet time, I started writing down a list of things that I felt like the Lord really wanted me to share with you. And there are Kind of hard things to say, you know, I mean, stuff that, like, you need to hear but you don't want to hear, that kind of stuff. And as I really started prepping for this particular message, I felt like the Lord wanted me to just kind of drop all those bombs, or at least three of them, um, here in in one message. So it's a lot of fun. Um, I I shared this with our staff earlier this week. We have um, been texting each other, repenting. Um, all week long, because it messed us up. I'm, I'm just being honest. Um, it has been heavy on my heart for you. And, and I really, I believe this so truly about what I'm going to say today. While I believe it's going to offend almost every person in this room, there is a potential that if you'll let the truth offend you, you can walk out of here free. Like I'm I'm not personally trying to offend you, but the truth might offend you before it sets you free. And and today we're going to dive into that. But I feel the need up front to just pray so that our hearts are ready to receive it. Can we do that together? God, as we pause together right now, I I just want to invite you into this space with us. We know that there are times in our lives we need to hear some things that we don't need or want to hear. We, we need to, but we don't want to. And God, I pray today that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our minds to receive what you have for us in this message. It might not be easy. It might be difficult. And it might be challenging. But God, there is so much freedom in this place today. There is so much liberty that you desire to bring, and I'm praying right now that we will have and create the space in our hearts to receive what you have for us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, last week, as we kicked this series off, I I started in one of the points, talking about how if we're going to have healthy relationships, we're, we're going to have to be a little like Jesus in, in John chapter 1. The Bible says that Jesus came filled with grace and truth. And we're going to have to have both grace and truth. And, and last week I told you this, that truth without grace is mean and and you might have some some truth people in your life that are not good with grace and and what they'll say is they'll just say well I'm just saying how it is I'm just speaking my truth and really a lot of times all that is is just an excuse to be mean truth without grace is mean but then there's not truth people there's grace people and they're you know I've sat down with moms I'm just struggling with my kids you know my my son's just out of control. OK, well, tell me what happened. I mean, last night he didn't come home till two a.m. Okay, well, what'd you do about it? I ain't said anything to him. He already feels bad enough as it is. right? No, that's not, that's not helping. True. Grace without truth is meaningless. It's enabling. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth without grace is mean. Grace without truth is meaningless. Truth and grace together are meaningful. It's the intersection of those things. And in our lives, the, the things that have changed us, the moments that have rewritten our story, are, are the places in our life where grace and truth have intersected and it's there that we we find meaning and we find something that you might not even think about would, would be that we find love because you can't have love without truth and grace. And I've come to see this about us that the way that you relate to truth and grace, your relationship with truth and grace is going to have an observable impact on your relationship with others. Some of y'all aren't willing to face the truth. And because you're not willing to face the truth... You keep going through hard things after hard things, challenges after challenges. I think sometimes we need to face the hard truth. And today we're going to do that. Sometimes relationships are hard because we're not willing to face the hard truth about relationships. And so today I'm going to share three truths. These are hard truths with you. And I, I just need to say this prophetically over you. If you'll receive these, if you'll not, not put up the guards and not try to argue your way out of them and not try to say that's for them and that's for them, if you'll do the work right now to receive this truth, I believe it could open your eyes and change your life. I, I told you, I shared this message with our staff earlier this week, and it has messed us up. We've been repenting to each other. I I mean, I was home yesterday just like, and and my wife was like, are you okay? I was like, this, this is just, it has messed me up. In a good way. In a good way. And I believe that if you'll receive this today, that there's a lot of problems in your life that can get fixed simply by a perspective that gets shifted. Okay? And here's, here's the first hard truth. This is not heaven. This world is not heaven. This is not the end game. This is not the goal. This is not where your life is eternally destined to live its best moments. This is not heaven. It is not perfect. And the truth about it is it's never going to be perfect. It started out that way, didn't it? It started out perfect. You go back to Genesis chapter 2, the Garden of Eden. It started perfect perfect there there was no sin God had Adam and had Eve and everything they needed was provided and God gave them one simple rule don't eat from that one tree and you want to know what some of us are like I wish I could just have that life God takes care of everything and I got one rule and I think that when we look at the garden we're being reminded that if it were that simple we'd still blow it and then what happened they sinned and they 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 ruined it. And the truth is is that we've all ruined it. All of us have ruined it. This world is now corrupted and infected and affected by sin, which is why we're going to go to the writings of Peter today. Somebody who had a good life who had a business that was thriving, who had a wife and a family, who then met Jesus and left all that to follow Jesus for a few years and then got, got scared when Jesus was being crucified and denied him because his, his emotional maturity hadn't caught up with what God had destined him to have and then he gets filled with the Holy Spirit and he becomes bold and eventually he becomes a leader in this movement that we call the church so much so that, that there are thousands of people who came to know Jesus because of his faith. We're going to go to his writings today, and look at what he says in 1 Peter chapter 2. Friends, this world is not your home, so don't make yourselves cozy in it. You ever noticed how much effort we put into making ourselves cozy in this life? Cozy. In this world, what's Peter, Peter's real, real blunt. This ain't home. Don't try to get comfortable here. This ain't home. Now, all you got to do is pull up Instagram, pull up your Facebook feed, just start scrolling, and you're going to see a bunch of people telling you how cozy and how awesome their lives are. And hear this. This might very well be their heaven. But if you're a Christian, it is not. Number one, this is not heaven. This is the one that I know some of y'all are going to go, uh-uh. Number two, you are not a good person. I'll make it personal for me. I am not a good person. Some of y'all are going, no, uh-uh. I am a good person. Kevin, you don't know me, okay? I open the door for old ladies. I pay for that girl. At at the supermarket, I pay for her groceries. I'm a good person. I'm just gonna let the Bible answer that question, okay? Let the Bible talk to you about you. Isaiah 53, verse six. Look at this. That we're all like sheep who've wandered off and gotten lost. We've all done it. Look here. We've all done our own thing and gone our own way. Uh, you don't have to be real honest with yourself to figure out that that's true about you. I done my own thing and went my own way, and God did what? God piled our sins, our iniquity on him. Everything that we've ever done wrong was piled onto Jesus. You're going, yeah, but, but that's that's Old Testament. That's, Old Tes- that's not New Testament, Kevin. All right, First Peter chapter two. You were lost sheep, with no idea who you were or where you're going. This is New Testament now, and some of you are going, no, that's pre redemption. That's I'm not now. I'm saved and recon- I'm a good person. Well, let's just ask Jesus about this, okay? Jesus one time, it's called Good Teacher. He takes offense with it. He gets offended, and he you know our response in Mark chapter 10. He says, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, according to Jesus, if you're not God, you're not good. This is not heaven. Number two, you are not a good person. And then number three, if that didn't get you, this one is, you are not that important. Now let me say something that needs to be said in the context of that statement. I did not say that you are not important. We we believe that God made you on purpose for a purpose. But some of us have hijacked that. And made our, our ourselves supremely important. And I can understand how you get there from the moment you were born. Every experience you've had in life, you were at the center of it. I mean, when you go to birthday parties and school and graduation and then you get married and then you have friends and you go to every single day, you have been at the center of your own consciousness. But you are not at the center of the universe. And some of us would be served by a little dose of humility in the way that we view ourselves. Go back to Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5. All of you, dress yourselves in humility, what? As you relate to one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Again, this interjection, which actually happens throughout the New Testament, that when we choose pride, what we do is we invite the judgment of God into our lives. But when we choose humility, we invite God's grace. Clothe yourselves in humility as you relate to each other. In Philippians chapter 2, the apostle Paul is arguing for the people in the church at Philippi. Please have the same attitude as Jesus Christ. And in there, he says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Look at what he says. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. You, You don't have to look real hard to recognize that the world is not telling you that. To value other people as more important than me, you're not that important. And authentic humility recognizes its place at the table. It knows where it was designed to sit. Doesn't mean you don't have a seat, but it knows its seat. And the problem with this is that we don't live these truths out. They're hard. And our culture is screaming literally the opposite to us. And if you walk it out and see how it's lived up in your own life, you're going to see that it's led to some really, really ugly stuff. So can we do that real quick? Because I want to I make sure you understand how important it is to receive this when we go through it in just a minute. How, how does this work? Can I give you... The, the way we normally think about our life. Look at this. Still on the whiteboard, the, the lies we believe. Number one, this is heaven. This is it. It's the best it's ever going to be. Number two, I am a good person. I am a, I'm a good person. And then number three, remember three was you're not that important. And here it's I'm the hero. One of our staff members who's a little bit younger and the rest of us told us, you realize that, like, there's a trend on social media right now saying, like, you should be the main character in your own life. Like, you should live every day like you're the main, you're the hero. You're the hero. These are lies we believed. And if you walk them out into practical beliefs that apply to our everyday lives, you're going to see something that I think we can all recognize. Look at this. Where does it go? Number one, this is heaven. It can be perfect. It, it might not be today, but it, it could be tomorrow. And, and if we work real hard in our marriage and in our friendships and in my job and even with myself, it can be. It can be perfect. Oh, it's probably probably not realistic to say that it is going, but it can be. I'm a good person. Where's I go? I'm right. Not all the. I mean, nobody's right all the time. But most of the time, I'm right. Most of the time. I mean, I try real hard. I love Jesus. I've been following God for years. I mean, most of the time, not all the time, obviously, I'm not perfect. But most of the time, I'm right. And then I'm the hero. If you're the hero, you got no other place to go but this, that my life revolves around me. Everything in my life says something about me. My wife's got to be hot. Because that says something about how valuable I am. My car's got to be nice because that says something about who I am. Everything you see about me has got to be perfect. Why? Because it all speaks to me, it's all serving me. I'm the hero. And I, I want you to see where these lines of thinking go. It gets so ugly, it just gets so ugly. And the thing is, is I'm praying right now for you to see this in you. I'm praying for you to see it in the way you've treated people, the way that you've expected relationships to go. I'm praying for you to see it so that you can repent from it and be freed from it. Look, number one, this is heaven. It can be perfect. Well, now, I'm I'm hurt when things aren't right by me. Because you want to know What? Your idea of perfect is not perfect. It's just your standard imposed on other people. You don't even understand perfect. So when you try to imply that it's supposed to be perfect, all you're saying is, that's my standard for everybody else and myself. And so you know what? If you don't meet my standards, I'm offended and hurt. I'm a good person. I'm right most of the time. You know what? Who are you to tell me what I need to do? Who are you to correct me? I'm a good person. Don't you know that I do this and I do that and I do this and I do I'm a good person. And some of y'all have got bent over people who loved you and tried to have loving conversations with you that were corrective because you didn't want to hear that you weren't good and then I'm the hero. I hope you see how ugly this is. I hope you see how absolutely just devastatingly ugly this. Uh, my life revolves around me. So if it doesn't serve me, I don't need it. Oh, you're no longer uh, that friendship no longer. I don't need you in my life. Oh that no, I don't need you no longer serve me. Get out. You don't have to look real hard in our culture to see that idea. I I hope that when you look at this, you see that this is ugly and broken. That's broken. That is broken, and you know it. You know it. And you're living it out day to day, day to day. So I want to look at how these hard truths should be applied in our lives. If we can embrace that this is not heaven, that this world is not heaven, if we can embrace that, then I want you to see this. Then number one, you can't expect perfect. You can't expect perfect. Your marriage is never going to be perfect. Your house is never going to be perfect. How many of y'all like your house to be perfect? I'm just going to say, I do. I do. I like it to look like nobody lives there. It's a model home. I have a four-year-old who's decided that it's his whole mission in life to wreck that vision. It's not going to be perfect. The idea that you right now in this world, in this life are going to live your best life? This is not heaven. This world is not heaven. This is a world impacted and corrupted by sin. It's impacted and corrupted by sin. And please hear me. This is not some kind of esoteric idea that keeps me from going to heaven but doesn't have any application to my life right now. Sin has consequences. And the Bible makes it real clear what these are, that, that we'll have trouble because of sin, we'll have pain because of sin, and we'll have suffering because of sin. We'll have a loss because of sin. I mean, in, in one place, Jesus makes this so clear. He's talking about, I'm going to the cross. I want you to know that. I don't want it to catch you off guard. I, I love you. I've got, I've got all of this under control. And in John 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you these things so that in me, You may have peace. In other words, there are times that are coming when in your circumstances and in this world and in the places you like to find peace, you won't be able to find it. But if you know that you can trust me, you can find peace in me, right? In this world, look at what he says, you will have trouble. There's no clause on the end of that. No, if you mess up, if you get it wrong. If you marry the wrong person. No, in this world, you will have trouble. Every one of us is going to encounter the affects and consequences of a sinful world. And I think Jesus is helping manage our expectations. Take heart. I've overcome the world. Manage your expectations of this world. Why? Because this world can't be perfect it can't be and then if you can receive that second truth you are not a good person i'm not a good person that also means that they're not a good person and they're not and and my my spouse and and my kid i've never had to teach my kids to be bad ever they figure that out on their own they're not we need to and this is this is so important number two where does that go in a health? Everybody is broken. Everybody is broken. Some of you came into life with a brokenness that you carried from your family of origin. The Bible clearly says the sins of of a father will be visited on his kids to the third and fourth generation. I don't, I don't think that's judgment. I just think it's practical. Some of us grew up in homes where we learned love looked trauma. It looked like trauma. Some of us w- w- grew up in places where we, we didn't even know how to connect with people or how to be intimate. Some of what we carry comes from our family. Some of it comes because of what we've done. Some of it is there because of what other people have done. But every person... You know, is is fighting a battle and coping with brokenness. Every person is. What what I don't know, but but or what you don't know that I know. Is that I've watched over the last few weeks as some people have walked in here, and I know they're fighting cancer. They they learned three or four weeks ago that they they've been diagnosed with cancer, and you don't know that. And you shake your head at them. Maybe shake hands. Some of y'all have looked at people, and I know, because I know their story, I know that they're going through significant battles with depression. And there's other people, and their their marriage is on the rocks. And and you walk by them, and you, you give hugs, and you shake hands, and you have no idea what's going on. And what I've noticed and this is so ugly about us, is that we judge harshly in others what we are so gracious to ourselves over. Look at that hypocrite. How could they? And we're totally okay with our hypocrisy. How in the world could that person, when we're, I'm over here doing the same thing, Everybody is broken. Everybody's fighting a battle. There are some of you that are fighting against addictions. Some of you that are fighting against stuff that is—it just feels so broken on the inside. And I learned a lesson in this in brokenness a few weeks ago. I found the two most perfect bases to, to go in our living room at home. And, um, and again, I have a four-year-old. Who had other plans for those vases and one day I was, you know we were in the living room and I just heard he just started screaming I was like what happened did you break an arm off I don't know what it was it's like dead and he's pointing one of them's broken I'm like now nah, well I guess okay we love you more than things you know it's it's gonna be okay we'll just go throw it away and like then, you know, now it's just one vase and it you know, it's only on one side of the fireplace. It's not as perfect when there aren't two, you know. So it's all right. And a few weeks later, same thing happens, he starts screaming and I, I run in there, what's happening? I broke the other one, Dad. Please don't give me a spanking! That's just his first reaction. You know, I started thinking about, about your lives and your homes, and some of y'all have have things in, in your living rooms that are family heirlooms I mean they've, they've been passed down from generation to generation and it's not just the, the monetary value on it it's it's just valuable what, what happens if it gets cracked how do you how do you handle it how if if something is is precious to you but but it's broken how do you handle it? and there's Just one word as I was praying, you you handle it with gentleness. You handle it with gentleness. You know, the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes alive inside of us, it starts to produce fruit. It says this in Galatians chapter 5, that the fruit are love, joy, peace. We love that, right? I I want some more love and joy and peace. And it's patience. We're like, I don't know that I want that one. All right. Patience means i got to go through some trials to get love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. Some of us need to let the Holy Spirit cultivate a gentleness for other people's brokenness. It's so important. So number one, this is not heaven. And so because it's not heaven, I I can't expect perfect. Number, Number two, you're... You're not a good person, and, and that means everybody. If I'm not, they are, everybody's broken. And then if you're not that important, that's number three. If you're not that important, you need to hear this. Number three, you are not the hero. You are not the hero. The hero in any story is the main character, isn't it? That That's the, the most of the, the storyline and the plot development goes to that. And if there's anything that happens other than than showing the hero what what ends up happening is actually developing the storyline of the hero. So are you the main character in your story? Like right now, honestly. If someone were to look over the story of your life, are are you the main character? We can self-diagnose by asking this question, who is most important? Who is most important in your life right now? Who is most important? And there, there are two components of that that you can think through, and, and it's this: who who's most important when it comes to perspectives and power? Who's perspective in your life is most important? Is it a a friend? Is Is it somebody that you've read? Or is it your perspective? This is what I think. This is the way things should go for me. Or whose power are you leaning into when things aren't going well? I'm gonna figure this out. We're gonna make it. Who is most important? Another way to ask that question is, who's winning in your life? Because... Some of us have have answered that question. Well, well, I'm most important. I mean, obviously, I'm most important. I mean, if that's how you answer that question, by all means, try to win everything. Win all the arguments. Win all the business deals. But listen to me. If you're a Christian in here, you need to know that Jesus Christ is supposed to be most important in your life. And I've said this before in the context of relationships and friendships, that sometimes when you get in a relationship and you make it your goal, God, I want you to win. I don't have to win anymore. Jesus, I want you to be the one that wins. You might lose, but if Jesus wins, you still win, okay? Okay? So who's winning? I hope ultimately that Jesus is winning in your life because this stuff could radically reshape your friendships and your relationships if you're willing to receive these truths. And I think it's so important to know that the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit begins to move in our life, radically reshapes these dynamics. So I'm gonna spend this last little bit talking about how the Holy Spirit's rescuing us. From those broken things. Galatians 5 says this about the Holy Spirit. So, since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. Some of y'all are like, I got this part over here, but I'm resisting God's leading in these. No, to live by the Spirit is to follow the Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I want to live in the benefits of the Holy Spirit. I want God to do in me and through me the things that he could only do in me and through me if the Holy Spirit is leading my life. And so I'm going to show you the way that you take those three things, the way the Holy Spirit leads us out of that and rescues us. So if this is not heaven, right, and I can't expect perfect, look at this, the Holy Spirit leads us to grace. That's God's answer to that. There's sin here. This is is not heaven. It's not heaven. It's not going to be perfect. I can't expect my marriage to be perfect, my house to be perfect, my job to be perfect, my boss to be perfect, my friends to be perfect. So how am I going to deal with that? It's grace. Grace is God's unmerited favor. I don't deserve it, but he gives it to me anyway which is a little different than God's mercy, right? Which is where I've done something and I blew it and I deserve to be punished, but God didn't punish me, right? That's mercy. And one of my favorite theologians said, if you take those two ideas, grace and mercy, they're kind of like two sides of the same coin. And that's God's love. That, that mercy and grace are the expression of God's love to us. And, Romans 5.5 5 says this so articulately that God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Right, Holy Spirit comes alive in our lives and begins to lead us to God's love. And we need to know that we'll never love others the way that we need to to have healthy relationships until we love them with the love of God. And to encounter God's love is to deeply encounter grace. I promise you that when you come in contact with the grace of God, the love of God, it is going to change the way you think and feel and operate with others. I mean, we are invited into that tension of truth and grace. That's that's where love is, right? You can't love without truth. You can't love without grace. And so that means that when the Holy Spirit shows up in our lives, part of what he does in loving us is that he convicts us. That that he actually shows us areas in our lives that we're not getting it right. And this is the thing about conviction. Conviction is God's loving way of telling us the truth about ourselves. Conviction is God's loving way of telling us the truth about ourselves. The Bible is so clear that this is one of the roles of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, it says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of, look at these things, of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. This is, you're blowing it, God has a better plan, and if you don't start doing what God said you need to do, there's judgment that's coming one day. You will endure the consequences. Conviction is an open invitation to experience grace through repentance. Repentance is when we stand before God and go, God, I've blown it. I've blown it, I'm, 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 I've treated this world like it was heaven and, and I've acted to other people like, like they're supposed to be perfect and this is supposed to be perfect. Conviction is an open invitation to experience grace through repentance. This is not heaven. And so the Holy Spirit leads us to grace because this world is not perfect. And so if, if you're not a good person, and i 'm not a good person, and that means we're we're all broken to some regard. please see this number two: the Holy Spirit brings healing the Holy Spirit brings healing now, now it, it starts right with with I'm, I'm just going to accept that i'm not a good person, according to jesus i 'm not God that means i 'm not good that means that we're we carry in some kind of context, we carry brokenness. And for some of us, that has been the message of the gospel, that because I'm, I'm a sinner, I'm broken. Now, here's the truth. God might find you broken, but he's not planned, never planned to leave you that way. God has intended in his heart from the very beginning to provide for your healing through the death of his son. God doesn't want to leave you that way. First Peter, again, The writings of Peter, look at what he says about Jesus. Jesus suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant's body to carry our sins to the cross so that we could get rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became your healing. You might come in today with the brokenness that you carried in from your family. It might be something that you walked in that's the consequences of your own sin or somebody else. It might be a broken heart. It might be broken emotions. It might be broken thoughts. Please hear me. God never intended to leave you broken. The promise has always been that by the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to intersect your life and bring healing. And this is why it's so important to see this is not heaven. Because we will never experience the full and final healing of our bodies and our lives until we get to heaven. The promise of heaven. This is so good, is the promise that God is not finished with you. He is not done with you. There is more. There is more to come in his heart for your life. A place where we are healed. And then lastly, this is so good. I'm not the hero. I'm not as important as I I think I am. Look at this. The Holy Spirit points us to the true hero. The Holy Spirit points us to the true hero. You're not the hero, you're not even the main character. Jesus said this in John 15 that when the Holy Spirit comes, he will bear witness about me. The job, the, one of the most primary jobs of the Holy Spirit is to redirect our hearts and point us to Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. I'm not the hero. You're not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And so in Acts 1.8, one of the last things Jesus says before he goes to heaven, Jesus says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. And I, I shared this last week, but I'm going to be honest with you. I have not been able to get over this. If, if you look at it, Jesus is saying, listen, I'm going to do something in you, and I'm going to give you something that's going to help you do things you never thought you'd be able to do. I'm going to give you power, and that power has one specific purpose. You're going to go into this world, and you're going to point people to me. You're going to be my witnesses. But if you look at people around us, if you look at people in our, in our lives, pull up Instagram or Facebook or Twitter. So many of us, are living. I I just want to make, I want people to look at me. I want to be, I want to be the smart one. I want to be the pretty one. I want to be the one who's popular. I want to be the one that's well liked. And you got to ask this question. Do you want to be witnessed or be a witness? Do you want to be impressive or make an impression? Where are you in life? Because when God comes alive on the inside of you, the whole purpose of it is that we live in such a way that we point people to Jesus. Do you want to be witnessed? Or do you want to be a witness? This is a hard truth. I said this at the beginning relationships are hard because we're not willing to face the hard truth about relationships. So here they are. Number one this is not heaven, this is not perfect. You will never love anybody perfectly. The the simple audacity to say that things could be perfect is you superimposing your perspective onto things. This would be my perfect. This is not heaven. But, oh, friends, there is a heaven. There is a place where we won't cry anymore. There's a place where sickness no longer has control and dominion. Where evil has already been defeated. And Jesus reigns as the true king. There is a heaven. And if you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, you're invited into that in eternity. This is not heaven, but there is a heaven. Number two, you are not a good person. You're not. And if you're honest with yourself, you know that, which means you can't expect them to be good people. But there was a good person. Some of y'all have asked before, why do bad things happen to good people? That's only happened one time. That's when my sins and your sins were poured out onto the only one who's ever been good. Jesus when he died for you and me on the cross. And then number three, you're not that important. You're not the hero. You're not the main character. And to create a life where you would be would be such folly. But when Jesus becomes the hero, Jesus becomes the main character in your life you are given a part and a role in the greatest story that's ever been told my friend I know that this is hard but there is so much freedom and healing in this moment for you thanks for listening this podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina for more information on our church We encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.